right. Good morning. 11 o'clock. Doing well? Summer, man. We're almost, we're almost, we're going to survive. This church is going to live through the summer. Uh, good, good of you to be here. Glad you're in town. My name is Derek, as Lindsay said, I'm the pastor, so if you're new with us, uh, that's who I am. And we are working through uh, the Lord's Prayer, just phrase by phrase. And today, as she said, is about the give us this day our daily bread. Uh, so before we get into that, I took a Facebook survey last week and just said, just tell me the, uh, the restaurant that has the best bread. Does anybody base their, where they go to eat, like on the free bread that they give you? Anybody do that? Just a few of you? Okay. Well, I have the list, so you can weigh in and agree or... Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, these are some of the suggestions, like the restaurant that has the best uh, bread. It starts with, I've never been here, so you just have to help me out, but Sublime Donuts. Anybody? So this is going well from the start. This is going really well. Uh, Bistro Nico right down here on the corner. Anybody? Okay, you guys are good. All right. Th th this might be more your speed. Red Lobster? Anybody? Yeah. I think our youth pastor... Submitted that one. Is that the cheese? Uh, yeah, okay, everybody's in on that one. Uh, Italian oven? Right. This, this is a terrible way to get to the sermon. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts, anybody? So just survey real quick. This isn't this is free today, but uh, extra. Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme? Which one is it? All right, all right. I actually don't care. I just was throw that in there. Texas Roadhouse, anybody? Just a few, all right. Um, Provino's? I've never been there. Oh, we got applause? What is this? Uh, Ippolito's? That sounds expensive, because there's like a lot of syllables <laughs> in that one. This is one of my favorite ones, Subway. Like somebody put Subway. <laughs> Subway. Oh, oh, Charlie's? They're hot as a, uh, well, that, that, I'm not going to cuss. They're real hot when they come. Uh, Cracker Barrel? Right, I don't know who put that one in there. But uh, this, this, is, this is five minutes, you won't get back. But uh, Jim and Nick, Jim and Barbecue, Jim and Nick's, is that good? Where is that? Swanee, see, that's, I can't breathe up there, I don't know, I, don't, I get outside, that's Northern Rim, I don't know where that is, but, uh, Panera Bread, that sounds normal, it's a bread company, Panera Bread, bread should be good, right, so my, fa here's my favorite, it's this like little mom and pop uh, steak shop here in the city, amazing bread, someplace called Longhorn, amazing bread. <laughs> Such a cool place, really ironic, like this like country western vibe, like right here in the city. So cool. You should try that out. It's in the Lindbergh area. Have you heard of it? Yeah, it's really good. All right, so uh, there we go. How was that for an illustration? It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Um, yeah, so as Lindsay said, we're going to work through the Give Us to Say Our Daily Bread, but in just a moment, uh, we'll get to that. But let me just recap a little bit. We are working through the Lord's Prayer. It's phrase by phrase. Most of the prayer is request. Most of the prayer is asking God to do something, asking God to be something for us. So that's pretty much the whole prayer with the exception of the first phrase, which just acknowledges who God is. And from there on, it's all 
request, and prayer is essentially request. I mean, it's sort of asking God for things. So we're just moving phrase by phrase uh, through the prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is so interesting because it was given by Jesus to his disciples and, you know, subsequently to us as well. In fact, he gave the disciples the prayer because they asked him uh, to teach them to pray. It's in the, the Luke account of this story. We're doing the one in Matthew. But the Luke account of the story, we hear that the disciples see Jesus, they, they watch Jesus pray, and then they go to Jesus and say, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Which is an interesting question because they're Jewish men, like they should know how to pray. But there was something about the way Jesus prayed. There was something about what he was doing, what he was saying, that prompted them to ask him to teach them some of the similar uh, things and teach them how to pray and whatever. And it was really, really common in those days for a teacher to give his students, his disciples, a particular prayer to pray. It identified those students with the teachers. So they would say the Lord's Prayer and it would identify them with Jesus who gave them the prayer. But more than that, what the prayer does, the Lord's Prayer, when it's given to us, when Jesus gave it to us, it gives our faith a language. It gives our prayer a language. Like, sometimes you don't know what to say when you want to pray, and it's like, Jesus is like, say this. In fact, the Luke account says, uh, when Jesus teaches them to pray, he says, pray like this, but the actual word in the Greek is recite this. So he actually intended us to say these words not just a model like okay I can base my prayer around it but it's actually been given to us to actually say the words and so there's something unique about uh, the prayer and it gives us again it gives us a language to use when we pray but also within that language is a great theology like it gives us it teaches us about who God is it teaches us about our relationship to him so all of that being said when Jesus gave the prayer to the disciples he truly meant for us to use it and to say it. And by the end of the first century, uh, it's known that the church, that Christians were saying this prayer three times a day, out loud, or in silent, or with others, or by themselves. They were saying, this was a regular part of the life of the church. And so we're just revisiting that and looking at it phrase by phrase, and uh, trying to learn some things from it. Today's phrase, you'll see on the uh, screen, it says, give us today, give us this day our daily bread. Let's say this together, ready? Give us this day our daily bread. This phrase, daily bread, only appears here and in one other place where the, another version of this prayer is given in Luke's gospel. And that's it. It's so unique. This phrase, daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It's so special. It's so unique. It's just isolated to this prayer. And that's all we ever see of it in the New Testament. So it kind of draws us in a little bit, tilts our head, like, well, what does this mean? Like, when we, if we say these words, and again, Jesus intends that we say them, if we say the words, give us this day our daily bread, what is it that we're saying? Like, what is it that we're asking God for? Uh, what do we mean by this? I like this question. What's happening when we say this? Like, what is actually going on when we all say these words, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, as Lindsay said, I've got three points. I, I usually just have one or no point, but uh, today I've got three. They don't all start with the same letter. I tried, I'm not that skillful, but, um, but I wanna just talk about three things that are happening or three connections uh, that we're making when we say these words, give us this day our daily bread. And the first is just precedent. 
that Jesus isn't blazing a trail uh, for us when he says, oh, and say, give us this day our daily bread, although it only appears here in the New Testament, so it is quite special. It's not new. It's not like he's, oh, here's a new thing you can say when you pray. Now, part of what Jesus is doing is pointing forward. We'll look at this at the very last point today, but right here he's actually pointing backwards. There's already precedent for even thinking about uh, prayer in terms of daily needs and meeting uh, the daily needs that we have. Uh, I want you to see this story from Exodus um, chapter 16. We'll get there in just a second. But let me just set this up before I show you the text. The Israelites, if you know the story, um, had been freed from slavery in Egypt through Moses and his brother Aaron. God had used them to free the slaves uh, who were living in Egypt at the time. And so the whole first 20 chapters of Exodus is just the story of that escape, the story of that emancipation, the story of that uh, freeing of those people. And along the way, they're sort of wandering. They leave slavery, which is a really controlled system, and they enter freedom, which isn't really all that controlled. And for the Israelites, it actually got worse before it got better, which is really just sort of like life. When you're stuck in a pattern of behavior or a lifestyle, whether it's healthy or not, when you exit that lifestyle and get into something new, it feels worse before it gets better. Like when you left home to go to college, it's kind of bad for a while because that controlled system isn't there anymore. And it sounds crazy to say this, but life for the Israelites in terms of provision, schedule, uh, having food and water and drink was, in their minds, better when they were slaves than when they were initially freed. Because again, it was just a total shift for them. And it got worse before it got better. And as you can imagine, they started to complain that it was worse. And they're complaining to Moses, they don't have things to eat, they don't have food, they don't have water, they feel unsafe, they don't feel like they're being provided for, and so on and so forth. And so uh, God hears their complaining, because he can hear, uh, <laughs> he can hear that when we do that. And he begins to provide for them some food while they're in the wilderness. And here's the, uh, a, a, a part of the story. It starts in verse 14. It says, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Say that with me, ready? What is it? So maybe you've heard the word manna. Have you heard the word manna before? Manna from heaven. Manna just means what is it? That's the translation. What is, so funny. What is it? Mm-hmm. That's it. No, no, what is it? Right. Right. So there's sort of this mysterious, you know, maybe you're new here and we do communion at the end of the service and you're like, what is that? What is it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, so just hang there for a minute. Uh, oh, and the writer clarifies it for us right after that. For they did not know what it was. So like, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. So see, the Bible's not that hard. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. And you shall each take an omer. Say the word omer. It's just a cool word. Uh, it's a measuring thing. 
two quarts maybe, so it's not huge, but it's there. According to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. I want you to sit here for just a second. God provides for them miraculously while they're in freedom, but he provides for them with boundaries. So this is so key in moving forward today. Here's the bread that you need to eat, but it's not a free-for-all. Gather as much as you need, according to the number of people in your family, and use this unit of measure as a boundary. So even in their freedom, God is still imposing some boundaries on them. And there'll be reason for this uh, that we'll talk about in just a moment. The next part says, and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, according to the number of people in their family. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is so beautiful. Essentially, no one went without is what it's saying on both sides. Whoever gathered a lot because they had a big family, they, nothing was left over. Everybody ate. And then on the other end, those who gathered little because they had a small family, nobody had lack. Nobody lacked food. So it's just a nice way of saying it worked. Like the whole boundaries thing worked. Everybody ate. Everybody was fed. And so it says each of them gathered as much as he could use. And so one of the things that happens when Jesus says, you know, pray this prayer, or this part of your prayer should be, give us this day our daily bread, he's pointing backwards to an event in the history of these people, a narrative that they understand. This, uh, and we understand it too, this, I'm leaving whatever my life was, and I'm in a new thing, and it feels worse than I thought it would feel because that's what happens when you get extracted from a pattern and you get into a new thing, again, whether it's going to school or moving to a new city or just getting married or whatever, it feels kind of worse than it was before, but it'll get better. And in the meantime, God begins to provide and there's this opportunity, if you will, to really practice trust. This opportunity to really practice trust in God's provision us. So give us this day our daily bread is essentially this challenge for us to trust. And then Moses goes on to say, as you see on the screen, let no one leave any of it until the morning. And this is like the most important part of the story because it has to do with, this is about a day-to-day survival. Don't worry about hoarding up for tomorrow. In fact, the rest of the teaching gets to the sixth day, the seventh day would be the Sabbath for the Israelites, and the instructions on that day are to gather twice as much, so you won't have to work tomorrow, and so it's still this day-by-day provision. So God was teaching them early on to trust his provision. When they hired me here over seven years ago, this is a true story, uh, the church, CCB, Christian Church Bucket, what they were deciding month by month which bills they would pay. So that's a real draw for people who are looking to change careers. I just want you to, I, I'm not, I just want you to imagine, you interview for a job this week and it feels good, it looks good, and then you sit down with HR and they go, I just want to let you in on something. We flip coins every month on which bills to pay. Sometimes you don't get paid. Right? 
what do you do? Oh, I'm in. It's a scary thing. And it, it, I appreciated the leadership here at the time because they were very honest about that. They were like, yeah, I mean, we'd love to have you come, but, you know, it's up in the air. It's kind of day to day. It literally was day to day. Give us this day our daily bread. My friend Jennifer Taylor Johnson uh, just wrote an article on anxiety because anxiety is really at this trying to gather enough for tomorrow. Anxiety is all about tomorrow. Anxiety is all about next week and all about what might be or might not be. And she wrote this article on on anxiety, but it's just a little piece of it I want to read to you. She said, we may have found a measure, uh, we may have found a measure of personal or professional success by constantly scanning the horizon for dangers, formulating preparedness plans, and strategizing for worst case scenarios. Anybody do that? I mean, some people are hired to do that. They come into work every Monday and say to all the dreamers, uh-uh, here's the spreadsheet. Like, we can't dream. We can't do that. Like, that's their, that's their job. They hang up the OSHA posters and go, please don't copy without a shirt on. I mean, like, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> nobody is allowed to dream because their job is to think about worst-case scenarios and plan for that. But we do that in our own lives, too. We do that in relationships and money and faith. I mean, we just think so far ahead and we just pick things apart mentally in our minds. She says, in many ways, it works for us. Next slide says, so we believe, however irrationally, that we can just, if we can just think about all the negative uh, possibilities, that negative possibility or person from enough angles, so you can probably resonate with this, we'll figure out a way to fix it too. In other words, before I make a commitment to do whatever it is that I need to do or been called to do or challenged to do, I'm going to think through every possible negative outcome and try to fix that mentally in my mind before I ever make a step. Have you done this before? Is it, we've all done that. And then I love what she says at the very end. Worrying feels productive at that point and proactive, even if intellectually we know that it's not. And so here's Jesus saying, give us this day our daily bread. Say that in your prayer. And he's pointing backwards. There's precedent for this. That their own people, the people of Israel, had to live day by day by day and trust that God would provide. The second thing that Jesus is talking about here when he says, give us this day our daily bread, is a sense of resistance. This is so important. There's a real strong sense of resistance that we are... uh, playing around with and using when we say these words, give us this day our daily bread. Two categories of resistance, but they're both connected. One is just simply uh, the resistance to not be present. So when you're not praying, give us this day our daily bread, you're thinking too far ahead, I'm thinking too far ahead, I'm not present, I'm not living life in the moment. And tied to that, and is this issue of greed and materialism, which is really all based on the future. We, you know, I want to have these things for later, or I feel that I need to store up so I can have all this stuff for later. But let's just start with the presence piece. I love what Jesus says later in Matthew chapter 6. He says, uh, therefore, you know, don't be anxious about what? Tomorrow, 
Thank you, Jesus. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I love that. And then he says, sufficient for the day is its own what? Trouble. Some versions say each day has enough trouble of its own, which we can all just say amen to that. And Jesus is just pointing at that reality and saying, listen, don't, don't worry about, don't be anxious about tomorrow, because that'll come, and it'll have enough trouble of its own. So just be present here. And just, again, let these words give us this day our daily bread, guide each of our days. Let us be present in the moment. And I think that it's really important to think through just, again, this first part about, do I live life in tomorrow or do I live life today? Am I always thinking ahead and and missing the moments of today? Let me illustrate this through uh, rock and roll. I mean, you know, that's just how it goes. But... My son is into all the same music that I'm into, and so we go to a lot of concerts together. He's 12, and um, we've, we've been to a lot of shows in the last couple of years together, which has been really fun. But I have a rule for him when we go to shows, and the rule is you can take a picture of him with your phone, but you can only take one picture, and you can take it when they come out. And then the phone goes in the pocket, and then we rock and roll. Like... We're not going to take pictures of the show. Are you with me on this? I'm trying to teach him it was $70 a ticket. We're here. It's right here. It's, it's hurting our sternums. Let's embrace that. All right? Let's not get a pixelated, blurry picture. Let's just sit here and let it roll over us. Because that's what we came for. Right? We went to his fifth grade graduation uh, two grades ago, my gosh. And I couldn't see it. Well, actually, I could see it, but the way I saw it was through the screens of the iPads that were above people's heads. Never mind that there were professional, like, videographers filming the thing on, like, elevated tripod podiums. And in the bulletins, like, we're making a professional video. No, no, no. iPad. You know. We're all throwing up in the back because this mom can't do it. And, but everybody's got these things out. And it's like, it's right there. And, no, and, and I, know, I know we think that people want to see it. But trust me, two days from now, nobody wants to see your video. Nobody. Oh, that at the concert, you know, like back to the back to the concert. Nobody wants to see that because it, it doesn't sound like anything anyway. Your video and it just just noise, you know. It's like you'd show your friend, it was so awesome. Look, and they're like, yeah, it looks great. It sounds it sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. We saw U2 many many years ago. One of the many times we've seen U2, and uh, we always end up by this guy. I'm just gonna say this guy, but he was sitting right beside me, and um, he had a flip phone in one hand, and the uh, beer in the other hand, which happened to be closest to me. It's always that way. And so he's doing this. He's got the phone, and it's, it's you too. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like worship, and then there's like you too. So it's like, this is an important, we're here. Let's be here. He's got the flip phone, and literally like half the show, he's going, 
hey man, listen to this. And he's like, what does it sound like on the other end? It just sounds like a, like a ship coming in. Like it doesn't, it doesn't sound like anything, you know? It's just like, it, it's right there and you're missing it. I was watching an interview, I think it was on Conan, but Jack White was on Conan. I don't know if you're a Jack White fan, but he's got a new album out, he's on tour. And he was talking about uh, on this present tour that they're on, and I don't know if it's him or the management or whatever, but somebody comes out before the show and says, listen, we don't care if you video it, but listen, we're going to video the show, and we'll give you the video. But don't video it. Like, you paid money, like, just, just be here. And he had this great line. I just want to leave this illustration with this line. He said, we're missing the moment because we're documenting the moment. That's profound from a rock and roller. And I get it. You know, I get, like, that's true. We, and why do we do that? We document moments, not for today, but it's for tomorrow. We're worried about, we want to have this tomorrow. So I got to do all this stuff so I can show you tomorrow. Instead of not worrying about tomorrow, I'm just worrying about today, I'm worried about tomorrow. So maybe it's not just documenting things, but maybe it's just hoarding things and greed and materialism. Because this is certainly involved in give us this day our daily bread. Like, it, it forces us to think about what we actually need and not worrying about where we're going to be in a couple days or a couple years or whatever. And so part of what Jesus is doing here is saying, listen, pay attention to today. Live your life. Don't lose sight of people. Don't lose sight of the days that you've been given while at the same time, don't get caught in this tendency that we all have to just keep collecting and keep piling on for tomorrow. Proverbs 30, verse 8 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with the food that is needful for me. So again, I mean, Jesus is not blazing a trail. This is just God's stuff coming out saying, learn to live with what you need and pray that every day. Give us this day. Our day. Help me pay attention to my life and to the people around me, these gifts of relationships that I have, and help me not to worry so much about my life that I'm collecting and becoming greedy and piling up. This is hard for us, by the way. It's hard for us to get inside this, give us this day our daily bread, because bread is not a problem for us. Like, we're all going to leave here and pay for bread, right? And we're going to complain if it's not free. I mean, like, bread's not a problem for us. I was, uh, there's a new cupcake shop across the street, and, um, you know, we're like, hey, why not? So we, we take, we walk down from our place to the cupcake shop and we go in and it's different than I thought it would be. I was thinking like a bakery and a cupcake, but it's like all encased glass, you know, like I felt really poor in the cupcake shop, but we're all standing in there and uh, we want to get a cupcake. They're all like five bucks a cupcake and they bring it out to you and like it's gourmet and none of the flavors are for real. Like we're thinking chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, but it's like, uh, like lilac or something. But um, you're like, hmm, I'll try the whatever that is. And they, 
is pretentious. You know, they kind of have this little thing going on in there like, this isn't, sh this isn't the cookie company, you know. Uh, which is funny because we're all standing there looking at $5 cupcakes, and my son says, um, hey, can we just go to the cookie company? <laughs> you know, we're amidst all these people, like, you know, trying to fit in in the cupcake shop is like the, the lowest thing you could ever, you know, have to do. But people are like really, you know, you walk in, you feel like I got I to gotta stand up and like, you know, this is where I will. And Alden's like, can we just go to the cookie company, which is right inside the mall? Um, and as my wife always says to store, about stores that are in malls that are really, really like uppity, she's like, just keep in mind that you're in the mall. You're in the mall, okay? Uh, there's a food court like not far from you. So we literally leave the cupcake place and go, uh, go to the cookie company and get a couple, couple double doozies. You know what I mean? Like just high class. Just, just a couple double doozies. Make it an M&M. &M. Yeah. But they've got, that's what I was getting at. They have a, uh, an ATM type thing outside of the shop where you can punch in your order and it like delivers you a cupcake. Have you seen this? I mean, I've found the end of time. Like that's, I walked by there the other day and people are like punching in their cupcake order. And it's like, yeah, that's it. That's it. We've, we've reached the limit. Of, uh, of what we can ruin <laughs> in the world. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why I told that story except that uh, it's funny and it has to do with, like, are we really spending five bucks for cupcakes? It's just not a problem for us. So it's really hard for us to get inside this text where Jesus says, just pray daily for your daily needs. That's really hard for us. But let me just say this before I move on and close this down. If you pray this, if I pray this, it takes a while, but eventually it reshapes us. If we say this daily, give us this day our daily bread. Event At first it's just noise, but eventually it does begin to reshape how we see life. It does begin to reframe how we interact with people, with money, with possessions. It changes things. You begin, and this is a warning, but you begin to start saying in your head, eventually out loud, I think we can do without that. I don't think I need that. That doesn't feel as important to me anymore. Like, this is the... the the scary part of a thing like give us this day our daily bread, eventually that takes shape and we become different people. And Jesus is giving us this prayer as a means of resistance, particularly in our world, in our country, in this city, in this part of town where there's almost no resistance to purchasing and accumulating and piling up. There's almost no resistance. So it's a subversive thing to pray. And the final thing that Jesus is doing when he says, give us this day our daily bread, there is a sense of hope here. He is pointing forward. He is giving us something to say that will get us through the day into the next day and the next day. And it points us forward. And there's a thing that Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 35, where he calls himself the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever 
comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, it's not true in the physical sense. It's not true in the physical sense like that if you believe in Jesus and trust him and go to him that you don't need food anymore. That's not what he's saying. Or that you don't need water anymore. That's not what he's saying. It has nothing to do with actual food. It just It's this picture, this word picture for us to just talk about satisfaction. Like it's so interesting, the more you follow Jesus, the less satisfied you become with the things of the world and the more satisfied you become with the things of God. And that's the frustration for people, is that that shift has to take place in all followers of Christ's lives. That, that he does become the bread of life for us. That at some point, like, satisfaction gets redefined, and it's all through the lens of Jesus. Like, that's a totally different thing. And that's a tough transition. That's out of slavery, into the wilderness, scrounging for bread, and learning to trust and learning to be satisfied with Jesus. It's tough. But that's what he says. I'm the bread of life. And there's hope in that. Uh, I was telling Jeff this week, and this is how we'll end today. I emailed him and I said, I don't know if this might be the biggest oversight ever in my career here, but we're doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, and we haven't even said the Lord's Prayer. Like, that's just, that's a fail right there. <laughs> So we're going to say it today. We're going to say it together. I have it on the screen for you. Uh, and we'll say this together as a way to get into communion. And we celebrate communion every week. But today it kind of takes on a little bit more meaning for us. Because again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he also asks the church that when we gather, we, we take part in this ancient ritual, this ancient meal, the bread and the juice. And so when we eat this bread in just a moment, when we take the juice, drink the juice in just a moment... Just let those words ring true that, um, that Jesus is the bread of life. He's given his life for us. We can find satisfaction in him. And that's a tough transition, but that's the invitation. And so we'll say these words together, and then that'll be our prayer. When the amen has been said, you can make your way to one of the four tables around the room. So if you'll stand together, uh, I'll get us started, and we'll just say this as a community. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 